Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Looking after your family's health can be tough, especially when it comes to their skin. Wouldn't it be great if there was a natural solution to help support their body's healing process for all these skin issues and worked as a sanitizer? Well, you're in luck. Active Skin Repair harnesses the power of the human body by replicating the same molecule your white blood cells produce to create a natural antimicrobial. It fights off foreign organisms like bacteria, fungi, and viruses and helps support your body's natural healing process of skin irritations. It's an all-in-one, three-ounce solution that can replace all those bulky, toxic first aid and sanitizing products like neosporin, burn creams, cortisol, and alcohol. In addition, unlike other plant-based balms, Active Skin Repair's hero ingredient, HOCL, is backed by years of scientific and clinical research using the same FDA-cleared medical-grade molecule used in hospitals worldwide. It's also produced in California in an ISO-certified clean room using a proprietary formulation to make sure you get the highest-grade product available. That's right, medical-grade technology that's natural and completely non-toxic. The Hero Molecule is innate to your immune system. Therefore, it's safe to spray around your eyes, ears, and mouth, and unlike alcohol or peroxide, it doesn't sting. If you want to try Active Skin Repair, use code JI20 for 20% off your order and free shipping at bldgactive.com. Dr. Will Bolzowitz is a gastronologist, internationally recognized gut health expert, and the New York Times bestselling author of the book Fiber Fueled. He completed a bachelor's degree from Vanderbilt University, a medical degree from Georgetown University, and a master's in clinical investigation from Northwestern University. Dr. B was the chief medical resident at Northwestern and the chief gastronology fellow at the University of North Carolina and received the highest award given by both his residency and fellowship. He lives in Charleston, South Carolina now with his wife and two children. Welcome to the show, Dr. B. Thank you so much for being here. I have been so excited to interview you. I you are like one of the number one guests I wanted on my show. I just love your book. I love what you teach on Instagram. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Oh my gosh. This is the feelings are mutual, Carolyn. It's an honor for me to be here and to have this conversation with you. I'm a big fan of your work. I think that the work that you do specifically is very important work. I, and I want the people who are listening to, to this podcast to understand that. This is important work. These are important conversations. And there are people who are trying to shout these things down and make it so that we can't have open, honest conversation about, you know, our modern lifestyle and some of the negative effects or the detrimental effects of this modern life. And I think we're going to get into some of that during our show today. But I just want to, you know, start by acknowledging the great work that you do and, and let you know that I really respect you. And I think it's great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So to begin, tell my uh, listeners just a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you became interested in studying the gut. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think your listeners probably already know from hearing the bio up front that I'm a nerd and <laughs> I've always been that way. Um, so let me just come clean because there's not going to be much of an opportunity for me to try to hide that. I'm a nerd. Um, I'm into science. I, I love what I do. 
And I dreamed literally when I was a teenager of being a doctor and helping people. I never really thought I would be an author, but this is just an expression of that same dream that I've always had. I've always wanted to do this to help people. And I, I was in medical school. And what's interesting, I actually thought I was going to be a pediatrician. Hmm. I love kids. But the problem is I love my kids. <laughs> and it's not that I don't love other people's children. It's just that I don't love it when other people don't take care of their children. Oh, interesting. Or when other people are down the neck of the doctor, like calling six times a day, mm -hmm. you know, for advice on every little detail. So anyway, I, what I discovered was that I love, uh, I love taking care of adults. I love using my mind to, to peel apart complex problems. I actually enjoy using my hands in my specialty in, in GI. I get to use my hands and do procedures about 50% of the time that I'm working. And I also, what I love about my field is that I am the expert on multiple different organs. Like the cardiologist, they just look at the heart and it beats and that's all they think about. And I get to think about the esophagus and the stomach, small intestine, colon, the liver, the pancreas, and even the hemorrhoids. I'm the master of all of them. I fell in love with all these different organs. I never really thought that I would become any sort of like gut health expert. That's not why I got into the field. You know, for me, Carolyn, you, you may already know this from reading my book, but your listeners may not. I had a health crisis of my own. And I was in my early 30s. I was in my medical training. I was overworked. I was underpaid. I didn't really feel the way that a person should feel in their early 30s. I was exhausted. I was, I had very low self-esteem. I was about 50 pounds overweight. I had high blood pressure, a lot of anxiety. And I knew that something needed to change. And what's interesting is there I was like at these celebrated academic institutions, Georgetown, Northwestern, the University of North Carolina, great doctors, great training, but I didn't know how to fix myself. That's so interesting. I just was not given the tools to address 50 pounds of weight gain, anxiety, high blood pressure without taking pills. So I sent myself, I'm a very, you know, I don't think this would surprise anyone. I'm a very type A personality. So I'm very goal oriented. Mm -hmm. And I set myself on a mission to fix these things. And I started by like intensely exercise. Which most people I, would start doing first thing. Especially guys, like that's what we do. You right. Know? I worked out six days a week, 45 minutes of strength training, 30 minutes of cardio, or jump in the pool 50 to 100 laps. And I could build muscle, I could build endurance. I couldn't lose the gut, I couldn't lose the weight. Oh, interesting. That's because I didn't look in the mirror at my diet, which was fast food. Things really opened up for me, actually when I met the person who's now my wife, because we went out to dinner and she was ordering like sides of vegetables and I'm, you know, not ordering that. And I just was like, what is going on over there with this person? Huh? I've never been around someone like this before. Oh, that's so interesting. It opened my mind because what I saw was that she could eat without restriction, not count calories, ate till she was full. She was very satisfied. She enjoyed her meal as much as I enjoyed mine. I was feeling pretty miserable and hung over after the meal. She was feeling fine and ready to move on to the next phase of the date. And, because she um, was fueling her body with vegetables. Yeah, with plants. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, basically, you know, go to a steakhouse, but she's ordering the sides. So it opened my mind. 
and I decided to experiment. And I, instead of like going for fast food, I started making smoothies for dinner. And it was like shocking how quickly within eight, 10 weeks, my body just started to really change. And the gut started disappearing. The gut started disappearing and the weight, yeah, the weight melted off. The blood pressure pills went in the trash. The anxiety lifted. My self-esteem surged. I got back to feeling young and alive and energized, optimistic. So it was a really radical transformation. It was so powerful that it was something that I started to, you know, again, going back to, I'm a nerd, I'm a scientist. I need to see the studies that back up why this happens to me. And I turned to the medical literature and I thought like, there can't really be anything, right? I mean, I trained at these great institutions. How have I not heard about this? That's what's, that's what's amazing to me as you're telling this story. You were in medical school, but didn't know this information. Yeah. I mean, I literally trained for, you know, if you include college, I trained for 16 years. I did four years of medical school after college, four years of residency, four years of GI training. And I was not taught any of this. And I, and I, what I found, Carolyn, was not like literally dozens, but what I found were thousands of research studies to support what I was experiencing. And one of the key things that I discovered was the connection between the food and our gut microbes. And that is very relevant to the work that I do as a gastroenterologist. I work all day taking care of people with abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, bloating, gas, um, irritable bowel syndrome, celiac disease, Crohn's ulcerative colitis, acid reflux. Like that's what I do for a living. My job is to make these people feel better. So I started to bring these ideas that I was reading into my medical practice and my patients were having radical transformations. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. People who, you know, felt that the system was failing them, bouncing from doctor to doctor and then coming to me and finding that the solution was that it's because the system is ignoring diet and lifestyle. Right. What was happening in my clinic was so powerful that it made me feel compelled to do something that felt very unnatural for me. People might look at my social media account and be like, oh, this guy loves social media. I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I love educating people. I love trying to help people. I, 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 I can assure you I would rather be doing almost anything else on the planet than being <laughs> on social media. You know what? I can... Uh... I, I agree with you. It's not something I love either, but I want to educate people and I want to like shout it from the rooftops. And so that's the only way I know how to do it. And that's exactly the motivation, right? Right. Because there's so, I don't know if you feel this way. I think, I'm guessing you probably do, Carolyn. There's so much good that can come from these conversations on social media. Right. I agree. And there's definitely negatives. Right. They exist. We, you and I deal with them. You have to learn to have thick skin and let it roll yes, off your you back. Yes, you do. Yep. You know, so there, there I was in 2016 and I just felt like I had to say something and it was not enough to help people in a traditional medical practice. Like this was information that everyone deserved to have, whether you're my patient or not. So that compelled me to start my Instagram account, the gut health MD. I still call it a screen name and I've been told that they're not called screen names anymore, apparently. <laughs> okay. Well, this makes me a little concerned though, that you have that much training in school in gastronology work and you weren't taught this information. So for these other gastronologists out there and other doctors out there, it's something nutrition is something they have to learn on their own and research and study on their own. Yeah, that's totally true. And it's, I, I view that as a major problem within our traditional healthcare system. 
right. that requires the individual person to have enough awareness of this deficiency that they will advocate for themselves and that they will build a team of healthcare providers around them. You know, I, I think that the idea of a one-stop shop doesn't really exist or it's, you're not going to find it in many places. I think that the, the reality is that healthcare is meant to be a team-based approach where different people bring different expertise into this team. And we're all there with one common goal, which is to support this individual person, to help them to identify and address their health issues and lift them up and make them stronger and better. I love that. And so I think that you know, I think the individual needs to be prepared to, uh, to recognize really that the, their GI doctor probably doesn't know anything about nutrition and is not going to give them nutritional advice. And so therefore, you'll have to find it with a different healthcare provider that's on your team. And I also say that we need to empower ourselves with education. So we're going to empower these listeners today with some questions that I'm going to ask you. So are you good if I just start picking your brain? Let's go. Okay. So let's start at the very beginning because you hear the word gut health a lot. Like, oh, the gut is related to this. The gut is, plays a role in this. What exactly is the gut? Well, so the gut when we are speaking sort of casually using this terminology, talking about the gut, we're really referring, I think, in most cases to the microbes. And the so because the gut in, in the in the way that the really the term is meant from a medical perspective, the gut is really referring to the entire digestive apparatus, like the entire system that's involved in the digestion of our food and the access to those. Starting all the way at the mouth. Starting all the way at the mouth. And okay. you know, like literally the teeth, the saliva, the tongue, the throat, the esophagus, moving down the stomach, the pancreas, the small intestine, the liver, every single one of these pieces is playing a role. I mean, it, doesn't that already by itself tell you the level of complexity involved in digestion of our food is all these different organs are playing a role and they, they have a collaborative effort to make this possible. One of the parts that we didn't really understand or appreciate until very recently is the important role that the gut microbes play in our digestion. And what I'm talking about are invisible organisms that are as alive as you and I are, mostly bacteria, may also include things like yeast or even parasites, which by the way, there are some parasites that are really good for you or these things called archaea that have been on this planet for 4 billion years. By the way, we've only had oxygen for about 2.5 billion years. So these archaea wow. predate oxygen. Wow. You'll find them in the bottom of the ocean in a rift vent. You will find them inside of a volcano and you will find them inside your gut. So, and all of these different things, they're there, they're invisible. That's hard for us as humans to quantify and understand. Yet collectively, they weigh as much as our brain does. And the number of them is staggering. If you took the number of human cells in the body and compare it to the number of these invisible microbes, we are clearly outnumbered. I knew that. It's fascinating to me. So I'm glad you just told the listeners that. We're talking about trillions of microbes, trillions. So most estimates are about 40 trillion microbes on our body. And 40 trillion, like how many is that? Take our entire universe, our entire galaxy. Take all the stars in the sky, every single one. Right? You're like in the furthest northern parts of Canada and you're seeing all the stars. Compact that down, put that inside your body a thousand times. <laughs> wow. That's that how many microbes are inside of you and I and the listener right now. So when you talk about microbes, you're talking about the bacteria and the parasites and all of the things, not just bacteria. 
So the microbes are inclusive. It's not just bacteria. Okay. Many times you will hear us and you'll probably hear me during this hour start to talk about it as if it's just bacteria. And it's an easy sort of slippery slope to slide, down, slide into because the majority of the microbes are bacteria. So there are okay. fungi, there are potentially parasites, but they, they, they are less than 1% of the total microbes. Most of them are bacteria. Okay. So why do you think gut health is so trendy these days? Is it purely because we're just now learning about all these microbes and studying these microbes and researching them? Is that why? I think that it is multiple things, multiple uh, aspects to gut health that are converging at once to make this like the, the, the ultimate storm, like the superstorm. So, you know, what you have is, first of all, that these conversations about gut health were already being had in the alternative or Eastern health space, you know, like the naturopathic right. community. Right. They've been talking about this for decades. I mean, we have to give credit where credit is due. And then simultaneously, you have new laboratory techniques that became available in like around 2006 that allowed us for the first time to really start to study and understand these microbes. Prior to that, we didn't really have the ability to study them, even though we knew they were there. Gotcha. That makes sense. And then the third layer, which I think is perhaps the most important part, is it's not just that there's research happening. It's not just that other people were having this conversation for a long time. It's that this has become an area of need, that our, our modern lifestyle is having detrimental consequences in this part of our body. And I would call it an organ, by the way. Um, like, I know that's weird. Like we've discovered a new organ, but we have, this is an organ. And this is an organ that is like incredibly important to the function of human health on so many levels. And so, um, so when we look at many of the health ec epidemics that are taking place, you know, go down the line, look at the top 10 causes of death. And there's things that you throw out like accidents. Okay. So like, obviously that's not a lifestyle thing. But when we think about the top 10 causes of death, there's at least six that are diet and lifestyle related. Like and heart disease. Yeah, like heart, heart disease, disease, cancer, right? Heart disease, cancer, stroke, chronic kidney disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's. Every single one of those you can connect back to our gut microbes. Emerging diseases, celiac disease, connected to the gut microbes. Autism, connected to the gut microbes. Uh, autoimmune disease connected to the gut microbes, allergic diseases connected to the gut microbes. I could keep going. We could spend mental an hour health. talking about all I'll, I'll throw in mental health in there as well. Thank you. Exactly. Mental health connected to the gut microbes. There's, there's so many aspects to this that um, we're discovering this is the part and this is why our health is leaving us. This is why we're not, we're, we have such a, um, uh, just an epidemic of disease in the United States is because we haven't been nurturing our guts. And this is a big part of the problem. Okay, I want to talk about that because Americans are getting sicker and sicker. I mean, people all over, I mean, you talk to anyone and they know people with autoimmune disease issues, you know, and health issues and depression or mental health issues, cancer, you name it, people know someone near to them that is dealing with something. So why do you think our gut health has become so poor over time? So I think that there are a number, there are a number of different factors that would explain why people have such poor gut health these days. And, you know, I, I would not go so far as to say it's, oh, this, this one thing. But I think if we take a step back and look at what are the things that affect our gut, you'd be shocked at how virtually everything within your lifestyle 
has an effect on the gut. Hmm. The number one thing that has an influence are your dietary choices. Your food goes in the mouth and it passes through this area where the gut microbes live. They come into contact with your food choices. And they're a big part actually of digestion and making nutrients available and actually also neutralizing chemicals and toxins. Before we dig into the food choices of the 21st century, let's talk about some of the other stuff real quick because I do think that it's important to acknowledge that when you exercise, you enhance your gut health. When you sleep, you enhance your gut health. When you give someone a kiss, you are sharing microbes. Um, the people that you live with, you share microbes with those people. If you have pets, you share microbes with those pets. If you put your hands into soil, you will change your gut microbiome. There are so many different factors that can affect our gut microbes, and it's not just food. And sometimes I feel like the conversation drifts too far towards only being about food. So we need to acknowledge that it's all these other things. When you have an excessive amount of stress, actually, Carolyn, the most challenging patients that I take care of, the people who it feels like it's impossible to get them better, it's not that it's impossible, it's that the people with the most challenging digestive diseases are the people who have been the victim of trauma and abuse. And have dealt with all that stress. And they've dealt with that stress and they've internalized it. And they're not necessarily going to walk in to see a doctor and on the first visit be like, oh, let me tell you about this thing that happened to me when I was a kid. Right. And But when you discover that this does exist, it's important for people to realize the powerful connection that exists between uh, trauma, stress, history of abuse, and our gut microbes. And it's like having perpetual stress actually is like perpetually harming your gut microbes. And that's so interesting because most Americans are probably too stressed. I mean, stress is a huge factor that we deal with. That alone is, is it just destroying the good bacteria in our gut? Is that a simplified term of what's happening? Well, uh, the gut is intended to be balanced. Right. And so we think about this we're now starting to think about the gut like it's an ecosystem. And so think about it the same way that you would like the Amazon rainforest okay. or the Great Barrier Reef. All these different living uh, entities converge in this one ecosystem, plants and animals and microbes. And there may be parts in there that you don't particularly care for. I don't like snakes. But if you take the snakes out of the Amazon rainforest, they're there for a reason and they help to maintain a balance. And the other animals are not designed the way the snakes were designed. The other animals can't fill in that gap. And you create instability, and that instability has a ripple effect, which is negative. That's the way it works within our gut microbes, within our gut, is that it's about balance. So there are good guys, there are bad guys, um, but this is not so simple as just, oh, not enough good guys or too many bad guys. It's that we need this balance where there's the good guys and the bad guys coexisting Together. in the right harmony we in order that. to make things work. So we need that diversity. We just need it balanced. Diversity we need not too many key. snakes. All snakes yeah. would be bad. Right. All snakes would be bad, but zero snakes would be bad also. Exactly. And so there's a balance that exists. And, and you know, so biodiversity is a word for everyone to become uh, aware of living in 2021 because biodiversity is important to your gut. Biodiversity is important to individual ecosystems, like perhaps the forest outside of your window. And biodiversity is important to our entire planet. And we are eroding biodiversity on all fronts because of our modern lifestyle. And this is a big part of the reason why we're coming up with these issues. Carolyn, you know, you asked me a few moments ago, why is our modern lifestyle so poor? And a big part of it is that we're not supporting 
these gut microbes to maintain that biodiversity. And we'll get into in more detail why that is, but a big part of it is our dietary choices, and so, which have radically changed. Okay, so tell me some dietary things and some not dietary things that would add that biodiversity into our guts. Yeah, so <clears throat> um, there's addition, and then there's also addition by subtraction in the sense that if you avoid the bad stuff, you can make it better. And so when it comes to addition, uh, when it comes to the things that help to support our gut, I wrote an entire book called Fiber Fueled. Which is a great and book. The reason, and I, I felt compelled to write this book because even though fiber is not trendy, I mean, I think fiber is sexy, but even though most <laughs> people thought think like fiber is like boring and it's what your grandma drinks, uh, fiber is sort of the key because what happens when we consume fiber, which is part of, by the way, every single plant, like every single plant, fruit, vegetable, whole grain, seed, nut, legume, they all have fiber. Fiber goes in the mouth and it is not digested by human enzymes. So it arrives to where these microbes live, which is in our colon, the large intestine, and it feeds them. Which I love. And a lot of people don't realize that. So and 95% of Americans are not getting enough fiber. That's crazy. And it's not very much fiber we need to get each day. Isn't it like 25 grams? So it's 25 grams for women and 38 grams for men. And Carolyn, we do these studies. It's very sort of sad. We do these studies where we look at fiber consumption in the United States and we'll take like the high fiber consumers. Mm -hmm. And the problem is the high fiber consumers will get 21 grams of fiber. Like even the high fiber wow. consumers are not getting the, the recommended amount. Wow. So we have given up on eating real food. You know, think about the difference between the way that our great grandparents would have eaten 100 years ago compared to today. We are not eating real food anymore. The average American, only 10% of their calories come from actual plants. And um, instead, what we've done is we've replaced it with a diet of convenience. I was a victim of it myself. And I, I was, was too. a fast food diet. Yep. Years ago. They ate off the land. We eat the packaged foods that they wouldn't even know what they were today. <laughs> What great grandparent would have known what a gogurt is or something, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the irony of it is like, I actually recently had a, a quote in the Washington Post about this new type of milk called not milk, which is, um, you know, it's recreating the flavor of milk using plants. Well, it took them like literally a year and a half of food scientists working to try to figure out how to do this. Hmm. And it would be completely impossible for any of us to create this in our kitchen. And my comment was in the, in the Washington Post was, this is an ultra processed food. And the funny thing was that I got pushback for saying that. I'm sure you did. That's what I was thinking. And which is hilarious to me because if we can't call it what it is, right? if it requires a year and a half of food scientists working to figure it out, and if it is not something that you can actually create from things that you could grow in a garden, then what is it? Right. Let's go back to poor gut health for a minute and talk about maybe some of the symptoms of poor gut health. People listening may think, well, I don't know if I have poor gut health or not. What should I be looking for? So what would be some of the symptoms? So here's the good news. Poor, like trying to figure out what is the state of your microbiome. The good news is that by the end of listening to this episode, you're going to know as much as your doctor <laughs> and you're also going to save money. <laughs> I don't know if that's good news or bad news. Well... You don't need, you don't need to, um, I think, you know, one of my points is that you don't need expensive testing to tell you whether or not you have good gut health. You just need to be very rational about what you experience. Gut health, uh, measures of poor gut health. To me, I want people to understand that 
the number one thing that these gut microbes do is help you to process and unpack your food. So if you find that the routine consumption of normal amounts of food causes regular digestive distress, like bloating, diarrhea, cramps, hurting, cramps, abdominal pain, nausea, acid reflux. If you feel that just like regular consumption of normal amounts of food is causing these types of issues, gas, bloating, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, that to me is indicative of your gut health is not where we want it to be. Well, that's probably most people listening. I talk to people every day who are dealing with hurting after they eat. That's, it's a huge part of America. And um, if, if on the other side, you can eat what you want when you want to eat it, borderline without restriction, that to me is the measure of a healthy gut. The gut is like a muscle. It's capable of work. It has a certain amount that it's capable of doing. If you exceed that amount of work, it hurts. Okay. So I know a lot of listeners are like, okay, I hurt a lot. Tell me what to do. Because gut health, you can improve. This is not something you're doomed with the rest of your life, like some disease or something. It is something you can improve. So what are the best ways to improve this gut health? So the beautiful thing about the gut is that it forgives you. These microbes, it's actually quite dramatic how quickly they are recreating themselves. So we have a new generation of bacteria every 20 minutes. Really? Yeah. So basically in the time that you and I have been talking, we've already created grandchildren. (laughs) (laughs) So like that's like these, there's a new generation every 20 minutes. And if you think about that within the context of 24 hours, these gut microbes are creating, you know, so many generations of new microbes within 24 hours that if they were human, it would take us all the way back to the age of the, of the uh, pyramids. Hmm. And so this kind of power, the nice thing about it is it means it is rapidly evolving. So the dietary changes that you make today will have effects by tomorrow. Oh, that's good to know. And this, the, we have studies to back that up. And so, so how do we heal? How do we heal a gut that's not feeling well? I would break this into two different conversations. Okay. The first is to talk about things that are not related to food, which I think is very important for people to understand. You can heal your gut without lifting a fork. Oh, that's interesting because a lot of people won't claim that. Right. They, they, a lot of people would assume that they have to eat like that it's diet and diet only that matters. It's not. Get a good night's rest. Minimum of seven, ideally eight hours of sleep. But is one night's Time- sleep going to heal the gut? This needs to be a constant uh, thing, right? One night's sleep is going to start to create a cascade and it's going to build momentum. And if you keep doing this, if you keep coming back and you're getting continue to get a good night's rest on a routine basis, then you are building momentum within your gut towards a healthier gut. Okay. Timing of that is very important, by the way. So there's a difference between going to bed at midnight and going to bed at nine o'clock. And um, our body is designed with a circadian rhythm where the timing of our food, the timing of our sleep, the timing of when we wake up actually has a major impact on how efficiently these microbes work because they have a circadian rhythm. So sleep is important, but also thinking about your evening. In the evening, many of us, we sit in front of the television with our tablet in front of us, and we're getting like shocking amounts of bright blue light. And that affects the quality of our sleep, which affects our gut microbiome. So either getting blue light glasses or 
alternatively turning off the electronics and reading a book in the evening. So you're suggesting people should go to bed when, like more like nine or 10 o'clock at night. Totally. Uh, Dr. B, I am doomed then. I've got teenagers <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'm up till 11 or midnight making sure all the teenagers are home. Well, um, you know, we're going to, we're all doing our best here, right? <laughs> we're all doing our best. Maybe, it, so, maybe um, it's okay because it's usually just the weekend. So if I can get to bed on a decent hour during the week, maybe that will help out. Yeah. And it would be nice if like, you know, if, if you got the kids situated, like I, I think we all have our challenges that we face. And this is part of the challenge of living in the 21st century is this is the American life. It would be ideal if, you know, for example, most of the work is done and at nine o'clock starting to wind up and preparing for rest. Well, I'll have to make that yeah, a new goal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, tell us what else there is besides sleep, because I may have to work on that one. So, so in addition to cutting out the blue light in the evening, which by the way, I think is very important. The other thing that's important in the evening is we don't want late night snacking. Right. I did know that. So, um, early dinner, if possible to me, early dinner means before 7 PM. And if you're going to have dessert, have dessert, but then after you're done, make it a hard rule only water or herbal tea from that point forward. And why does that affect the microbiome? You know, it's very interesting. I'm involved with um, a company that perhaps we'll talk about more in a moment called Zoe. And we're doing some really quite fascinating clinical research studies, Carolyn. And there's a new one that just came out in the last few weeks. And what they showed is that your diet actually activates inflammation inside the body. And what really seems to be like sort of driving this is that about four hours after we eat, there is a rise in our triglycerides, which is one of the fats mm -hmm. inside of our body. And this rise in the triglycerides activates inflammation and it persists for at least eight hours, if not 12 hours after the meal. So if you, what are some of the things that trigger our triglycerides to go up, meaning trigger inflammation? Uh, alcohol, simple carbohydrates. So like chips, pretzels, sugar, sugar. And you know, you do that at 10 o'clock at night and then you activate this inflammatory pathway that basically it's 10 o'clock at night. Now this is really picking up steam at two in the morning and it persists through the night. And then you wake up the next morning and then you eat again and your body never gets a break. But that's affecting the microbes. That's affecting the microbes. Oh, that's so interesting. So, and that's part of the reason why we think that concepts of like time restricted eating, where you contract this window and then you give your body a rest for 12 hours or more. This is part of the reason why we suspect that this works. Well, I'm just thinking of my teenagers and when they're out till 11 and midnight at night, uh, they're eating, they're eating away at, you know, friends' houses. And yeah, so that's interesting that that plays a role. Okay. I was so, that way too. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So, so besides the sleep, the blue light, stopping at a certain hour to eat, what exercise. else? And exercise helps them, the gut. Exercise clearly helps the gut microbes. Kind of interesting. They did a study in, in uh, runners and they found that there was this specific bacteria called Velanella that emerged and was more well represented in runners. Huh. And what's fascinating is when you start to track this out, like, okay, so what does Velanella do? What's, what's Velanella's superpower? Right. Villanella clears out lactic acid, which basically means like when you run and you feel muscle fatigue, that's the accumulation of lactic acid 
these runners had a bacteria growing inside of them that was helping them to become more efficient as runners. Isn't that incredible? Our bodies are really miraculous when you start studying, studying it. Nature is so intelligent. It really is. And it understands our needs much better than we do as humans. It really does. Yeah, it does. Okay, so now we all are going to add exercise and running. Yep. Well, so running, but also there's different micro, you get different microbes when you do strength training. So this is why like, you know, different types of exercise are good for us. Don't just do the same thing every single time. Stress, you know, we mentioned this before and it's worth coming back to again. I think it's important for all of us to acknowledge the stress that we have in our life because we, we all have it and having strategies to deal with the stress, which may include exercise by the way, but stress has a negative effect on the gut. We have clear studies that show us that when you when you have stress, you basically activate these hormones in the body, which have downstream effects that include creating what we call dysbiosis, which some people would refer to as leaky gut. Oh, I was just going to ask you about leaky gut. Yep. So stress creates leaky gut. Um, And this is, you know, this is one of the things I think that you and I have alluded to in this episode about our modern lifestyle is that we're all dealing with stress. And I don't think social media is helping that, honestly. Right. So. Okay. So tell me, tell my listeners though, what leaky gut is, because that's another term that's just sort of thrown out there and people don't understand really what it is. So leaky gut is a term that's been uh, floating around for more than 20 years now. Um, originating in the naturopathic space. And what's quite fascinating to consider is that there were these conversations about how leaky gut is connected to our immune system and allergic diseases, things like this. And now the science is coming out to confirm that that's completely true. These human observations, well, you know, science is observation. So when we see patterns, we see patterns and we attribute these patterns. And as we get more advanced in our techniques using science, we're able to drill down on this and see that the patterns that we thought were there are really there. And the term that I prefer to use is dysbiosis. What dysbiosis is referring to is a loss of balance within the ecosystem. So we were talking about this before and like you could simplify it to say less good guys, more bad guys and reduced diversity. Okay, so we're gonna use leaky gut and um, dysbiosis as synonyms. That's fine, we could do, and we could do that. I I, I certainly wouldn't have a problem with that. And and what, what ends up happening is when you have dysbiosis and these microbes are not capable of doing their job the way that they're supposed to, it starts to affect the lining of the gut. And you have the breakdown of these proteins called tight junctions that keep the cells lining the gut together. So when they break down, these cells no longer are together like a barrier. And it's like having a wall, but with holes punched in it. And this is what leads to the, this idea of leaky gut, which you could also call increased intestinal permeability. Basically what's happening is things start to get into the bloodstream that aren't supposed to be there. Causing issues. Causing issues. You, your, your body will react to these things that are entering the bloodstream. You know, an example of one is something called bacterial endotoxin, which causes inflammation and bacterial endotoxin gets into the blood because there's leaky gut or this increased intestinal permeability. Or the holes in the wall, a a simplified way of saying it. So this inflammation, though, is connected to a lot of other health issues, correct? Such as mental health and migraines and chronic fatigue and 
I mean, the list goes on and on that inflammation can be related to, correct? That is correct. And, and, you know, inflammation. So we, we studied it as inflammation, you know, 10 years ago, and we made these connections. So inflammation is connected to all these different conditions. And now here we are, you know, 10 years later, and we're studying how these gut microbes are connected to inflammation, and therefore connected to these particular conditions that you're describing. And in research, we will look at things in isolation, because that's how we have to study them. But the body never works in isolation. That's not the right. way the body works. So they're all interconnected. Okay, now talking about improving our gut health, we're coming back to that. You, We talked about the exercise and the sleep and the blue light, things like that. But I know my listeners are like, wait, tell me what type of food helps the gut. So let's go to the diet part of it. Yeah, let's talk about the diet part. Let's let's start first by acknowledging the way that most Americans currently eat. And by the way, when I say this, like this is, I was worse than what I'm about to describe just a few years ago. Right. So the average American's diet is about 60% processed foods. Processed foods that include chemicals that were not a part of the food system 100 years ago. And that we don't have studies to see what the effect for most of them are on the gut microbes. I'm sure some of them are fine, but the problem is there's like 10,000 of them. Wow. And I'm quite sure that out of 10,000, they're, <laughs> they're not, not all, all good. Exactly. Because yeah. some we so, some we do have research on, not all of them, but some of the chemicals we do. Yeah, we have we have uh, uh, polysorbate 80, which we know has causes harm to the gut microbes. Um, methylcellulose causes harm to the gut microbes. I mean. There's some of them, but the problem is that they're, they're already in the food supply. Right. And we're not going to go, We they already got into the food supply through the, you know, loophole that is generally recognized as safe, which I call GRAS. They, they snuck in through GRAS. Right. Most of them have never had even a short-term human study. Correct. To tell us what they do. So for the- And let them- Oh yeah, I was just going to say for those listening that that's the FDA who allows these ingredients into our food and classifies them as GRAS, meaning ge generally recognized as safe, but yet they haven't done any microbiome testing on them or other things like that. They haven't done human studies on 80% of them. They haven't done microbiome testing on probably 99% of them. Um, and the human testing that we do have is like, hey, you ate that for a week and you're okay, cool, approve. <laughs> It's not, it's not long-term studies to see what happens when humans in the United States grow up in the eighties like me and eat these foods on a routine basis for decades. Right. So that's 60% of our calories. And then do I believe that you can consume animal products like me and be healthy? A hundred percent. Do I think that you can eat animal products the way that we currently do and be healthy? I really don't think so. And the reason why is because we're consuming an excessive amount and that's dominating our diet. It's dominating the, like, that's where most, a huge part of our calories are coming from. So 30% of our calories come from basically dairy, eggs, and meat. The average American, 220 pounds of meat per year, which is number one in the world. And the average American weighs 170 pounds. So we're not just eating our own body weight. We're eating our own body weight plus a five-year-old in meat on a yearly basis. And here's the issue. What is the fiber content of what I just described? Zero. What is the fiber content of oil, including olive oil? Zero. Zero. What do they do with processed foods when they process them? Remove the fiber and throw it in the trash. And put in a lot of oil. Right. Processed like take oil. out the good stuff and add the bad stuff. Right. The solution is very clear. We need to look at this 10% of our calories that comes from real food, plants, 
fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes. And we need to move that needle. And let me be the first to say I was less than 10% plants. Which probably a lot of Americans are. Well, obviously, if you're giving these stats. Yeah. And we need to, and we need to move that needle. And, but I think that it needs to be done in a way where I'm not here to tell you that you need to be all in or you're, or you're not going to get to where you want to be. I'm here to tell you that if you're 10% plant-based, cool. That's where I was. Let's get it to 30. I will celebrate. Right. Let's, let's take 30 and make it 50. And as we start to do this, as we gravitate towards these healing foods, which contain fiber and phytochemicals, which are what give them the colors um, and that make them off, off, uh, awfully healthy, as we gravitate towards these healing foods, we're going to start naturally crowding out the other stuff. And where you choose to stop is your choice. In my book, I wrote that I would recommend that people push towards, slowly over time, push towards a diet that is 90% plant-based. That doesn't mean you need to stop at 90%. That's to say that I'm not perfect. Right. And no one is out there. And no one is. I eat mostly plants. And sometimes I have not a moo ice cream. And I don't think it's healthy when I eat it. I do it because I enjoy it. Right. So. Well, and you're you not know, eating that, it. You're not eating it every day, multiple times a day. You're enjoying it as a no, treat. No, that, it's a once in a while That's where thing. the difference is. Yeah. It's, it's a once in a while thing. So. So anyway, in, uh, to sort of uh, drive forward the punchline, you know, fiber is the key to these microbes. Fiber is found in plants. We're not getting enough fiber in our diet and we want a biodiverse microbiome. We talked about how that's important to the ecosystem. Each plant feeds specific types of microbes. When you have a biodiverse plate, meaning lots of different types of plants on the plate, you create a biodiverse microbiome. And in a study called the American Gut Project, which is the largest study to date to allow us to connect our microbes to our food choices, they found a clear-cut number one most powerful predictor of a healthy gut. And that was the diversity of plants within your diet. Okay, so here's a question for you. If we need to feed all the microbes in our body, what happens to some of those microbes that don't get fed? What are they eating if we don't feed them with our plant diversity and the fiber? The microbes that don't eat plants or the, or the microbes that don't get fed? What, what do those microbes that don't get fed, don't they start eating something else? There are different microbes that eat different things. There are certainly microbes that will thrive when you reach for sugar or microbes that will thrive if you, you know, eat a hot dog. And so each dietary choice that we make allows certain species to thrive and the other ones that are not being fed will recede and become less powerful. Um, what happens and I hope that this is answering your question, Carolyn, you know, what happens when we don't feed our microbes? Well, there's these interesting studies that they've done looking at this tribe of people in Tanzania called the Hudza, and they are modern day hunters and gatherers. What that means is that if you remain in the tribe, you don't have a cell phone, you're not shopping at Harris Teeter, and like you are living the way that people lived 10,000 years ago. They don't, they also don't plant seeds. They live off the land. And what they found is that their diet, their dietary patterns evolve with the seasons based upon food availability. And what happens is that the microbial patterns within their gut also evolve with the seasons based upon what they're eating. So they found that there's particular times a year where they're eating berries and the microbes that help them to process the berries are more prominent in terms of the representation when they're eating berries. And then they almost go into hibernation until next year, Berries are back on the menu. Interesting. So all the microbes need to be fed. 
they, they, they need to be fed now, like, cause they're alive and they need energy just like we do. So they definitely need an energy source, every single one of them. Okay. The question is, where do they get it from? Like there are some that, for example, will, um, there's a mucus layer that lines the intestines. And if you go fasting, like if you do, for example, a three day fast where you're not literally eating anything, the microbes that consume the mucus layer are the ones that actually will thrive. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Okay. So now I want to talk about how our gut health is related to certain health issues. For instance, one being mental health, just because that is something that I've dealt with. And I know there's a big gut brain connection, but some doctors out there still don't believe in that. So is there a gut brain connection? And what is your take on that? Very clearly, there is a gut brain connection. It's indisputable. And I'm actually, believe it or not, in the process of working on a research study right now, looking at the connection between food, microbes, the stuff that the microbes create, which we call metabolites, like basically what the microbes are creating, and mental health. Oh, I am so glad to hear this. Oh, it's, I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating and I can't wait to share more. I'm not, I'm not quite ready to be putting anything out there yet because we're just getting started on this, but, but we're, I'm actually working on a study looking at this, but we already have powerful research connecting food to mental health and more recently studies connecting microbe to mental health. There was a study that came out in December of 2020. So just a couple months ago, and they found that there were these specific microbes that were enhanced in people who have uh, major depression. And it ends up affecting specific neurotransmitters. In this study, they found that the neurotransmitter, by neurotransmitter, I mean, it's effectively a hormone, which affects our mood. In this study, GABA, G-A-B-A, was the neurotransmitter that was being affected by these gut microbes in people who have major depression. And it's something that makes complete sense. Yeah, that does. Are there studies showing that certain foods benefit the gut to benefit mental health? There are. And so it depends on which specific aspect of mental health you're looking at. So you could be looking at it in terms of mood, like depression. You could be looking at it in terms of anxiety um, or, you know, uh, ADHD things. So there's different, there's different sort of goals that you might have in mind in terms of what you're looking at. But, you know, just as a quick example. Um, if we're talking about anxiety. So with anxiety, we know that the Western diet, meaning like the way that most people are currently eating is associated with anxiety. And on the flip side, we know that fiber consumption reduces anxiety. We know that omega-3 fatty acids, which you will find in uh, many seafood, uh, many fish, but also you will find omega-3s in chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts. We know that those reduce anxiety. We know that magnesium reduces anxiety. So magnesium, whether you get it from diet or from a supplement. So there's a number of different things from a dietary perspective that can definitely have downstream effects and benefit our health. And, you know, for myself, just speaking for myself, Carolyn, this is just anecdotal, but like I was extremely anxious and depressed when I was having my mental, when I was having my health crisis, changing my diet, ramping up my fiber consumption radically changed things. Same with me when I dealt with depression 15 years ago and you saying that those things are connected to anxiety. I would also say that magnesium, the omega-3s, the fiber are 100% connected to depression as well. Yep. Okay, so now let's talk about gut being related to hormones. There's a lot of talk lately about hormones being off balance. Most American women are dealing with hormonal issues. Are those hormonal issues related to the gut? 
they certainly can be. The gut is so the gut is a part of our endocrine system. In fact, some people are now saying that this is the largest endocrine organ. By endocrine, meaning that the hormone balance, the um, the gut. Many people are now referring to as the largest endocrine organ in the entire body, and it in particular is involved in estrogen balance. There is a uh, an enzyme produced by the microbes called beta glucuronidase which basically helps to maintain hormone balance in the body. And when we have excessive levels of estrogen, there's the potential for the manifestation of disease. So some of the examples include endometriosis, endometrial hyperplasia, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, all connected to excessive estrogen levels, also connected to disturbances within the gut microbes. That was fascinating when I learned that a few years ago, because I did not realize that estrogen was so regulated by the gut. For women listening, it's the same thing that you've talked about with depression and how to heal our gut. It comes down to, you know, adding in more fiber and the sleep and the blue light blocking and eating at certain times, correct? A hundred percent. And there's a brand new book that just came out. I may have it sitting around here somewhere uh, by Aviva Ram, R-O-M-M. And um, it's all about hormone balance. And so that's a great book for, I would, I would recommend for people who are interested in this topic. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Now talking about the gut and weight, you had mentioned earlier in your story that you lost the weight once you were focusing more on your gut, but so many people think that weight is just calories in calories out. So how does the gut actually play a role with weight? Our research shows us that, that the idea, the concept of a calorie is not actually very true that the caloric content of individual foods varies by the individual person and that the gut microbes play a critical role in determining what the caloric content of your food actually is and so let me give you a quick example carolyn so they they did this study a few years ago that has been by the way reproduced a million times this is not just like a one-off thing that this is like very clearly how it works where they took identical human twin, all right? So just to set the stage, these two people, they have the same genetics, but identical human twins aren't always the same weight. Sometimes one is obese and one is skinny. And so they took identical human twins where that was the case. One is obese and one is skinny. And they transferred the microbiome from these humans into mice. What I mean is they took poop and they put <laughs> okay. it into the mouse. Okay. All right. So, and then they fed these mice the exact same number of calories, the exact same food. And what they found is that the mouse that received the skinny poop became skinny. Oh, that's so interesting. And the mouse that received the obese poop became obese, even though they were fed the exact same number of calories. Now, why is that? Just the microbiome? The microbes. Or microbes, I mean. Yeah, the, 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 the microbes have a major effect, energy balance, and our metabolism. So the obese person just had a different microbe because of the food she was feeding it or no? The obese person. So if you take two identical twins and you compare their microbiomes, they'll only be about 34% similar. So their microbiome, like their human genetics are literally exactly the same, but their microbiome could be very, very different. And it's the microbiome interacting with the metabolism that is affecting, you know, weight balance, affecting blood sugar, affecting blood lipids, and all of these other potential downstream um, 
downstream things that are that are regulated or like basically controlled by these microbes. Okay, so I know my listeners are going to be like, wait, does that obese woman, did she create those microbes or those microbes were genetically given to her to be obese? Um, so, okay, so the good news about the microbiome is that we believe that it can be changed, that within 24 hours, you will already see changes when you change your diet. It may take time. Um, so the obese person didn't necessarily inherit an obese microbiome, but during the course of a lifetime, all of these choices that we're describing ultimately do have an effect on what sort of balance of microbes you have. Okay. I know listeners would ask me that. So thank you for explaining that. Okay. So now let's move on from weight. You hear a lot lately, especially with the whole COVID pandemic, that your gut houses your immune system, that the gut plays a huge role in the immune system. How is that the case? Uh, so we knew prior the, to the pandemic, and I think the pandemic really sort of illustrates this connection that exists. We knew prior to the pandemic that 70% of your immune cells exists within, within your gut, like basically within this you know, part of your body. And there is literally just a single layer of cells that we would call the epithelial layer that is so thin that you can't even see it with the naked eye. And that separates 39 trillion microbes from 70% of your immune system. They are in constant communication with one another. It's like the microbes are given the orders and the immune system is following the commands. Hmm. And the microbes can sort of keep the immune system in check so it stays chill. Or if the microbes are not capable of doing their job, the immune system can go a little haywire. And what we mean by haywire could be allergic disease. Allergic meaning, you know, like asthma or seasonal allergies. These are conditions where your immune system is reacting to something from your environment that's triggering it. So like an allergy, like you think about peanut allergy. All right, those are allergic conditions, as opposed to the other thing that could happen is an autoimmune. Autoimmune is where your immune system, it's not reacting to like a peanut or like a pollen in the air. It's reacting to you, your own body. We're talking about things like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and celiac disease. And you could go down the line and all of these different, you know, multiple sclerosis, all of these conditions involve the immune system. And every single one of them, by the way, they've also found disturbances within the gut. So interesting. So the gut plays a huge part in all of those. In all of these. And then when you get into talking about the connection between the gut and the pandemic that we just went through, um, it's very interesting because like literally a year ago, I launched my book and this pandemic was happening at the same time. And I wrote an editorial about how I think I felt that fiber was one of the things that we needed more of in our diet to protect us from this pandemic. And, you know, I realized like writing a book called Fiber Fueled and then writing this editorial may seem like it's very just sort of taking advantage of the situation, but like, I, I sincerely felt that way. Right. And that's because I, I had, was looking at research studies where they showed that by consuming more, these were in mice, where when they fed the mice more fiber, they were able to get the immune system to work the way that it was supposed to, to fight viruses in the lungs. And so effectively what was happening when they gave more fiber to the mice is that the immune system would get the right types of cells into the lungs to fight the virus. And the, these mice would live longer 
and recover faster. And so anyway, fast forward to January of 2020, or I'm sorry, January of 2021. And there was a research article published in the journal Gut, which is one of the top journals in my field, showing us that people who have COVID-19 manifesting symptoms have disturbance of their gut microbiome, that the severity of COVID-19 was correlated to the disturbance of the gut microbiome. And some people would say, okay, cool. But is that just an association? Like, are they just there at the same time? The microbes that were growing in the COVID-19 patients were inflammatory microbes. The microbes that were missing in the COVID-19 patients with more severe disease were anti-inflammatory microbes. And one month after recovery from COVID-19, these people still had this in their so, microbiome. That is amazing. So, so interesting. Now, Carolyn, the saga continues because literally just 10 days ago, a new study came out, which suggest, it was a cross-sectional study, but it suggested that people who ate a plant-based diet, again, like focusing on fiber, were less likely to contract COVID-19 and more likely to have a better outcome, meaning that they had less severe disease. And so, you know, I think that the pieces are falling into place that shows us this connection between food, microbes, immune system. They are intertwined. That is amazing. And you could say food, microbes, mental health, food, microbes, allergies, five. I mean, it goes over and over for all these different illnesses. It's amazing. That's our, exactly right. Our body is really miraculous if we nourish it with the right food so that it can do its real job. It's so fascinating to think about it because the other thing too is that I am completely convinced that the most important part of human health isn't even human. It's the bacterial cells. It's the bacteria. Yeah. And they're not human. They're just a part of us that live with us. You know, kind of like I was just at um, Grand Teton National Park with my wife enjoying vacation. And you see the you see the bison with the birds on the back. And they live in a symbiotic relationship where they help each other. Right. And that's like the relationship that we have with our microbes. That is uh, fascinating to think about that these microbes live in us to benefit us, to help us. And we just need to do our part. That's all they ask of us. I love that. Okay. So talking about the microbes in our gut though, I know I'm going to have a lot of listeners say, well, do probiotics help then? Should I be taking a probiotic? Probiotics can help. They can help. There is a place for probiotics, but there are two things that I think are important for people to understand. Number one, you can't out probiotic a bad diet. So you can, you can take a, you know, a minus and turn it into an A, but you can't take a D plus and turn it into an A. <laughs> Good analogy. And um, the other thing with probiotics is that I want people when they do probiotics, here's the, here's the issue to the person who's listening to us right now at home. You have a unique gut microbiome. There is no one on the planet with microbes exactly like yours. Like literally it is a fingerprint. 8 billion people on this planet, not a single one that is the same as you. And so when we take a probiotic, we are introducing bacteria or in some cases yeast into, because there's good ones, um, into our, into this community. And what we're doing is we're crossing our fingers and we're hoping that it works. And if it does, you should feel the difference. And if you don't feel the difference, then it may be that it's just not working for you because you are a unique person. And so I would really encourage people when you take a probiotic, have a goal in mind. Are you trying to improve your bloating? Okay, cool. That's your goal. Try the probiotic. If your bloating feels better, 
amen. If you're comfortable with the price, keep doing it. And if you're not comfortable with the price, then try something else. Try some fruits and vegetables instead. Is that well, what the fruits you and vegetables, the beauty of that is that no matter what your microbiome is, it could be me, you, Carolyn, or this listener at home, no matter who you are, if you, if you feed these microbes, they will grow. Okay. So I know people are probably thinking, tell me where to get fiber. If fiber is the most beneficial thing for our body, where are the best sources to get it from? So the beauty of it is this, although I love superfoods, it's really not about superfoods. It's about variety. It's about all the plants. If it's a plant, it has fiber, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, legumes, all contain fiber. And so therefore they will all feed the microbes in your gut. And although I love the idea of superfoods and I do have my own personal favorites, don't get me wrong. You want to have as many different plants in your life as possible. That's the goal. That's a good goal for people. That's great. Yeah. Well, cause no matter who you are, Carolyn, no matter who you are, no matter what your dietary preference is, you can enhance the health of your gut microbiome by following this simple rule, diversity of plants. Love it. And you talk about that in your book, Fiber Fueled. So tell people where they can find Fiber Fueled, what they will learn by reading it. Fiber Fueled uh, is available through all major book retailers. Since we are coming out of a pandemic, I personally love the idea of going to your local bookstore and grabbing one because there are people in your community that could probably use, you know, the 20 bucks that you're going to spend on a book. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it at Barnes and Noble. So it's, it's readily available through all major booksellers. And what are you going to find in fiber fields? Well, you know, basically what you're going to find is the book that I felt compelled to write that I felt like the world needed to hear. And, you know, it's not just exclusively about fiber. It's really the story about these gut microbes that live inside of you, what they are, why they're important. And how do we nourish them? How do we optimize them? How do we allow them to, like, how do we put them in a position to be the best version of themselves? Because when they're good, we're good. And we That's feel good. Yep. Exactly. I encourage all you listeners who are listening to check out the book. It actually is a really great book. And if, especially if you're dealing with any type of health issue, this book will really give you some new insight and hopefully help you. Thank you so much, Dr. B, for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. I know um, the listeners have learned so much. I always end with asking my guests, what have they found to be the best ingredient in life? And I know you're going to say fiber probably, huh? No, not <laughs> the best ingredient. The best ingredient is connection. Oh, I love it's it. It's connection. It's, it's about connecting one human to another. Um, I think it's important for us to see that and understand that in the modern world that we live in, that it's so easy to get lost in social media and on the internet. Turn the phone off and turn to this person that you care about and have a conversation with them and let them know that you care about them. And, you know, if you, if you look at us as humans, we are social creatures. We thrive when we are connected to other humans. You actually will see this in the gut microbes believe it or not, like without changing anything about your life. Otherwise, when you feel loved, your gut microbes are thriving because of that. And the interesting thing is that the opposite of that is also true. When people are in isolation, their gut microbes are affected in a negative way because of that. So we are social creatures. Let's embrace that. Let's, you know, look, it's a new world. It is what it is. We're all making the best of it that we can. 
But let's also bear this in mind that at the end of the day, human connection is really the source of happiness. I love that you share that. Connection actually is really healthy. And I love that you said it helps our microbiome. That's amazing. So I love that. Thank you so much. Before we end, just tell my followers where they can find you. Oh, hey guys. Uh, thanks for listening to the show, by the way. And so you can find me um, on social media, Instagram and Facebook as the gut health MD, T-H-E-G-U-T health MD. Um, you can come to my website, theplantfedgut.com. I have an email list where, you know, basically like when hot new research comes out, I want to share it. And like Instagram many times is not the best place for me to be sharing conversations. So I will take it to my email list and I will send it to them. And people seem to really dig it. Like breaking news research. Many of the things that we've talked about here today were things that I learned that I, that I shared within a week and them coming out. And then last thing I have a uh, online course that I'm very proud of. It's called the plant fed gut masterclass. It's a seven week course that includes audio lessons, video lessons, a workbook, weekly live sessions with me, exclusive recipes that you won't find anywhere else, and uh, a private community of people who are like-minded where everyone is trying to help one another. And so I'm very proud of it. I'm actually offering it uh, for the third time this summer. And last time I offered it, I got 98% of people said that they would recommend this, this class to their friends. And this time around, I'm adding even more, more recipes. I now have registered dietitians on staff. I'm bringing in experts for conversations. So basically, I'm just super excited about it. I want to share it with everyone. Oh, that's awesome. I, I want to sign up for that course. That sounds amazing. Come join me. I think, I think I will. And you guys, go follow him on Instagram. I have loved following you. I've learned so much from you. And you keep it nice and simple so that it's easy to understand. And that's what I really appreciate. So thank you so much, Dr. B, for being here. Thank you for all that you are doing to educate as many people as you can. So many people have benefited from learning from you. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. It's my pleasure. I'm a huge fan of yours, Caroline. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.